like Emily, I've had uh, little phrases from Scripture pop into my mind lately. Um, this one uh, came last week, having done all to stand. But where, I'm thinking, where's that from? Oh, yeah, I look it up. It's in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. I single out verse 10 and 13. That's the portion that Noah read today. I bet that is the first time in Noah's life, perhaps, that he has used the word panoply. So we could, we could probably mark this day in Noah's calendar as the first panoply day. Um, this one um, portion a little of scripture kind of surprised me by uh, encouraging me toward the practice of self-kindness. Uh, that connection may not be immediately apparent, but I hope it will reveal itself with some unpacking. Sometimes we have to scratch a sacred text in order to sniff it, so to speak. So I'm using the uh, David Bentley Hart translation. It's a new translation by a, um, a scholar from the Eastern Christian tradition. And it's one that is willing to be clunky in order to bring out the nuances of the original Greek words. So the New Testament was written in um, common Greek, Koine Greek. So this one goes, put on God's panoply so that you are able to withstand the slanderer's wiles. Take up God's panoply so that on the evil day you may be able to resist and having done all to stand. So a little background, this is from a letter to the Ephesians, a community in what became modern day Turkey. That said, an early manuscript of this letter doesn't include to the church in Ephesus. So it may not have been written to the Ephesians, we don't know. Plus Ephesians is one of the disputed letters of Paul. So scholars for the past maybe 100 years uh, have been pretty sure that first and second corinthians galatians romans and philippians as well as first thessalonians along with philemon which is different than philemon were written by uh, the apostle paul but a handful of other letters ascribed to paul were likely written by someone else in the tradition of paul so the conventions for authorship were different in the ancient world it was quite common to write something in the name of a famous person as though that person were writing it. This was not considered unethical in any way. It was an accepted convention. Heck, I ghost wrote a book in the 1980s for someone else once, um, but my name was on, on the cover as with, so, you know, whatever, random details. In general, these uh, disputed letters of Paul, of which Ephesians is one, are thought to be later than uh, the the undisputed letters letters of Paul, and and they're they're different. They use different vocabulary. Uh, they have less um, you know like local details, and and they're 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 way more tame. They des they describe a church that is becoming more institutional, concerned with order and structure, less on the fly, a little more mystical, uh, maybe a little less radical. That said, let's enter the thought world of this ancient writing until it yields its treasure for today. Put on God's panoply so that you're able to withstand the slanderer's wiles. Take up God's panoply so that on the evil day you may be able to resist and having done all to stand. So the unknown author is addressing people who live in extremely precarious times 
economic disruptions, plagues, political instability, breakdown in social order, times of mob rule, military occupations, natural disasters. Very common in the ancient world. The phrase for this is the evil day. Uh, this is what the author is probably referring to days like this, not, not a 24 hour day, but an unspecified stretch of time when just bad things are happening one after the other. Evil days can be community wide, social, you know, society wide evil days or, or personal evil days. My, my parent allies and friends group met last week and uh, one of our members, uh, Joan, uh, lost her dad unexpectedly a, a few, uh, about a month earlier, at least, um, maybe six weeks earlier. Kind of a complicated loss for lots of reasons in the middle of this crazy year. And I thought Joan described the evil day to a T when she said, you know, man, it was rough. Uh, have you ever been in fight and flight mode day for day after day for weeks? I was losing things, I was forgetting things, my pulse was racing through the day, the whole nine yards. Uh, thankfully, I had my meditation practice to call on and a supportive group of friends really helped, but wow, it was rough. The line in the Lord's Prayer that goes, save us from the time of trial. That might be another reference to evil days. Now, that word, uh, so that's the context of these these couple of verses. Uh, now that word, uh, panoply. God put on God's panoply, rhymes with canopy, so that you are able to withstand the slanderer's wiles. So the, this translator, uh, David Bentley Hart, has made a very careful decision not to translate this word as most other translations do. Uh, the common translation is armor, put on God's armor. Despite the fact that um, other military metaphors are used in nearby verses, um, so there's shield of faith, breastplate of justice, so on. But instead of armor, Bentley Hart uses panoply. I, I, I would like to thank David uh, Bentley Hart. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Pass the Pop-Tarts. I am just sick and tired of mili military met metaphors in religion these days. I mean, it's, it's one thing for a minority group of mostly Jewish Jesus followers in a small enclave surrounded by troops of the Roman Empire to employ metaphors like this. Um, but remember, this community, they had no weapons. They had no armies. They didn't go to mega churches with Fourth of July flyovers to whip up the crowd. Their use of military metaphors was subversive, actually, of all that. It wasn't celebrating that. But that's not why I don't think David Bentley Hart chose the word panoply here instead of armor. His translation is all about hewing very closely to the original language, even if it makes the translation kind of awkward. In this case, he chose, I think, panoply because the original Greek word that he's translating is panoplia, a feminine noun in Greek that has a much broader meaning than uh, armor. First half of the word, it's a compound word, means all or full. Second part of the word means a set of tools or instruments or armor. So the original Greek word has connotations well beyond armor. Panoply in English means a splendid or striking array or arrangement, a ceremonial attire with all accessories or something that covers and protects. So what if there really is a splendid 
array of divinely arranged things to help us through evil days. Not just the specific ones mentioned in nearby verses, faith, uh, justice or righteousness, the gospel of peace. If it's divine panoply, it's not limited to a few things. It's a splendid array of things. Yes, the panoply includes trust and justice and the gospel of peace, not war. But it could include some go-to music that gets you through your day or some gripping television drama that's a great distraction or or the inserts you found for your shoes that cured your plantar fasciitis so you can take daily walks again and that's helpful or your dog or your new kittens or or this teddy bear i got last summer when things were kind of rough along with things like a meditation practice or the sustenance that we get from Sunday mornings together, a panoply, a splendid array, something that covers and protects. This panoply, among other things, is to help us withstand the slanderer's wiles in the evil day. So here, devil is the usual translation, but the word literally means accuser or slanderer. The ancients liked to personify phenomenon that were significant to them and maybe a little mysterious just like we do only when they do it we call it primitive and when we do it like death is the grim reaper or that oreo is calling my name it's like charming and we're still sophisticated compared to them so slander is a voice using words against people mean harmful accusing words wiles means crafty, sneaky, deceitful, behind the scenes. Uh, a modern equivalent might be gaslighting words or passive aggressive words that lurk in the shadows, that dodge the light of day. The person using them might say, oh, I didn't intend that to, as hostile, but, but the feeling beneath it betrays that explanation. You know, most of us have a slandering voice inside our heads that takes advantage of us when we're most vulnerable. A voice that insinuates itself like water finding its way through cracks in your basement wall. And sometimes when we're subjected to that voice inside our heads, it can be a relief to turn the voice on other people, uh, to give ourselves a break. You know, side note, when, when we lash out at others, we're verbally especially, we're, we're often just seeking relief from the hectoring voice inside our own heads, just to consider that possibility next time you find yourself saying something to someone that's like, oh man, why, why did I put it like that? Why, I didn't really mean that. These, these thoughts inside our heads, are, they're like house flies. Um, out of power, four days, um, was it last week or whenever? Um, so when power came back on, uh, of course, we opened the freezer and the refrigerator. Oh, have to throw most of it away. Gone bad. Took a while. Took some hours to go through all that stuff. A few days later, house flies. House flies all over the place. I'm checking for open doors. Do we have open windows without screens to see where they're coming in from? Then I decide to Google it. Where do house flies come from? And as soon as I write it out, oh, yeah. They're not flies, they're house flies. They're called house flies because they originate from inside the house. 
All it takes is one to get in from the outside like an Adam and an Eve housefly, and then they lay their eggs, and you've got, uh, they've adopted your address. It's their home. When we're going through it, the deceitful chatter of the inner bully, um, often moralistic chatter, half the time, fault-finding chatter, it's a real life sapper. Isn't it good to know that that's not the divine voice in our heads. That voice has nothing to do with God. That voice, if anything, is like undermining God's purpose and thoughts and ways in our minds. We can, we can name it for what it is, a crafty, sneaking, conniving, undermining, slandering voice. It's opportunistic, this voice. It amplifies with lack of sleep in times of high anxiety in times when our surrounding social matrix is riddled with elevated anger and fear. So when you're going through an evil day, be on the lookout, or I guess to listen in for that voice inside your head. Notice and name it for what it is. It's not a reliable voice. It's not a divine voice. It's not a trustworthy voice, but something to withstand, to resist. Once you notice it and name it, it often just loses power in that process, that simple process of identifying it. But if it persists, you know, it can be super helpful to find a trusted friend and disclose some of your inner chatter to them. Um, so they can say, you know, that's not true, don't you? You know, you know that's not you, don't you? And sometimes disclosing this inner chatter feels kind of embarrassing, so we don't do it. But, but don't let that keep you from sharing it with a sympathetic and trusted person. Half the time, just the act of saying out, it out loud to another person exposes it as false to you uh, on a deeper level. Even so, listen to your trusted friend when they say, oh, you, you know that's not you, don't you? You know that's not true, don't you? When we stumble into a beehive and get multiple stings, some of the stingers we can pull out ourselves, but others we can't reach. So let someone pull the stinger out for you and be ready to return the favor if someone is brave, brave enough to disclose their inner slander chatter with you. It's a very vulnerable thing to do. It feels a little embarrassing to acknowledge what's going on inside our heads sometimes. Um, but we, we can all be part of God's panoply, the divine splendid array for each other in times of trouble in this way. Okay, put on God's panoply so that you're able to withstand the slanderous wiles. Take up God's panoply so that on the evil day, you may be able to resist and having done all to stand. That was the original fragment that kind of popped into my brain last week. Having done all to stand. That's the only real goal when we're going through it. Bending, but not breaking, like a Florida palm tree in a hurricane, or if breaking in ways that lets the light in, and getting back up. All standing, after all, involves getting back up. Nobody stands all the time. Having done all to stand. It's a very modest goal. The goal is not to excel. The goal is not to thrive. The goal is not to build character. The goal is not to write a best-selling breakup song. The goal is to stand. The word for resurrection in many languages, I think in Hebrew also, 
is to stand up from the dead. In the resurrection appearances in the Gospels, Jesus is, I think, always standing. He's not sitting, he's not walking, he's not running, he's not flying, standing. As I was um, uh, rehearsing in my mind the various uh, uh, resurrection appearances in the Gospels, you know, like after the death and resurrection, Jesus is appearing to his disciples in Jerusalem and Galilee. I thought there was one, the last one in John 21, where he was sitting. The forlorn disciples were having a bad night fishing in the morning. There's Jesus on the shore cooking breakfast. I always picture him sitting around a fire. I, I, I like, you know, a nice breakfast is sitting down in my book. But no, even there in John 21, he was standing. Even, even in Stephen, while he in the book of Acts, when he's uh, being stoned, uh, being martyred, he, he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, whereas the book of Daniel that he's quoting is the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. It's like after the steamroll of, of life flattens us for a spell, all we really feel like doing is standing. So it doesn't matter the shape you're in when you're standing. Uh, my father-in-law had a stroke, so sitting up would be probably the sitting up straight would probably be the better metaphor for him. But, but even he stands each day with a lot of assistance. How you look, what you're wearing, how woozy you may feel, whether you need a cane or a pair of crutches or a walker, just having done all, meaning having gone through it all, to stand. You know, when a friend is going through a hard time, um, don't we want to just show them a little kindness? Uh, like when someone dies and and we know they need support and we're often anxious, like, oh, what, what can I do that's helpful? We, 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 we want to be kind to the person. Our only dilemma is like, what will be helpful? What would they experience as kind? And, and don't we want them to show themselves a little kindness when they're going through something like that? So stop being so hard on themselves. That's what we want for them, adding insult to their injuries. We, we don't want that for them. Let's receive this today as a word from the Spirit to ourselves when we're going through it, too. Okay, Dai is going to offer our meditation today, so take it away. All right. Well, sit comfortably. Feel your body supported by your chair and your feet supported by the floor. Center yourself by making your breath the focus of your intention. Close your eyes. Feel your breath moving and notice your body sitting. Then bring your awareness to the sensations around your heart. Allow the sensations to be as they are with an attitude of openness, interest, and receptiveness. From this place, bring to mind a person who has been very kind to you. 
reflect on what they've done for you that was very loving or kind and simply remember how that felt. See if you can recall that feeling of loving kindness toward them. Hold that person in your mind and silently repeat the following phrases. May you be at peace. May you experience love. May you experience kindness. May you be content. And now allow the image of the person to fade and replace that image with an image of yourself. See how it is for you to be the person to receive loving kindness. Repeat these words silently. May I be at peace. May I experience love. May I experience kindness. May I be content. It may feel artificial to say such things to yourself. You may not be feeling loving kindness. That's okay. Whatever you are feeling, you can hold the intention of loving kindness. Practice saying these words to yourself again. May I be at peace. May I experience love. May I experience kindness. May I be content. Now, Bring your awareness back to your breath. Feel your body sitting. And when you are ready, open your eyes.